it's not about today. It's about we need the leaders that are going to take us into the future of business that we can't necessarily, I hear this all the time, well, how do you future-proof? You don't future-proof. There's no way you can do that. You have to just be future-ready. Welcome to episode number 66 of the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andy Tempty. Today, we've got Brandon Carson joining us as the third guest in our mini-series on the importance of building the skill of business acumen in individuals and in teams. Brandon is Vice President of Learning and Leadership at Walmart. He's also the author of two books on the field of learning and development and is the founder of L&D Cares. Now, Brandon, thank you for joining us. Uh, as a promo, I've got your book right here. Uh, and I'm, uh, you, if you're interested, you can find that on Amazon. And I'm particularly interested in diving in on your three R's uh, in for learning and development, reset, rethink, rebuild. I'm, I'm really behind all that. So thanks for joining us. Great. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here, Andy. Really appreciate you having me on. Yeah. So as we always do with all our guests, before we get started, it'd be great if you told our listeners your story. Okay. I'll just give you the short story. So it's been a, <laughs> it's, it's been a long and winding road, but the short story is uh, this was not a chosen career. It was unplanned, but I've been doing it for 25 years. Started out in a little town in New Mexico where I was born, migrated when I was 20 years old to California uh, and landed in Silicon Valley and spent a good 28 years of my life there. Um, had had a wonderful kid. She's still there in Santa Cruz. She's a, ling a linguist now. And uh, got into training completely by accident. It was the rise of the internet, kind of heady times in the valley and tech companies all around needing to or wanting to figure out this new thing called the internet and can it be leveraged for training? So spent the first uh, half of my career just trying to figure that out with tech companies um, and uh, really started out as the developer of what we called web-based training back in the day. Uh, was a developer, then became an instructional designer, working on a contract and consulting basis in the Valley, moving from tech company to tech company. Eventually moved into the, on the corporate side of things and eventually have just progressed into different roles as my career, as my career went along and uh, then migrated to Atlanta to lead training transformation at Home Depot. Did that for several years and then moved over to Delta Airlines where I led the uh, training team for the global airport operations. And then last year in June, moved over to Walmart to lead uh, the uh, learning and leadership practice there. Well, that, that's wonderful. I, 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 just, I love talking to learning leaders that did not plan uh, <laughs> to, to be in that space. Uh, last week, we had uh, Torrance Ford on the show from Shaw Industries, uh, a, a Georgia-based, another Georgia-based company. And, uh, you know, he, he was, he was, he went to school for mechanical engineering and, uh, and, and had a engineering and software, uh, development career before he got into, uh, to talent management. So, 
uh, it's just uh, really, really, really interesting uh, that, uh, that, that, that you took that path. Um, if, if you had to pick one event in your life that just put rocket boosters uh, behind you, uh, what would that be? It's a great question. When I was looking at, when I was working with the, the tech companies in the Valley, like I said, it was heady times. It was one of those times where it felt like anything could be done. Although we were in that evolutionary period of what really could be done with the internet. This was back in the, we started really in the low bandwidth days of what we were trying to do. And that was really the accelerant for me is I spent 10 years in the Valley working with several tech companies, Sun Microsystems, Oracle, Microsoft, Apple, um, HP, you know, all the companies that were around really forming what has become the, the sort of status quo now of the infrastructure for how we now disseminate information and training. I, I was part of the first LMS integration at Intel and part of in. I developed their first e-learning program. So it, I think that I would probably put those years, that's what fueled it for me to your, to your question, because I became really passionate about building capability in others through this and then leveraging technology to do that at a scale that we, we had done before, but it was more difficult. And so this was sort of democratizing the dissemination dissemination of you know learning for the masses and that's that's what really took hold in me like i said i didn't plan this but as we were doing it uh then it you know i was lucky to work with some really great people and uh and that's that's what fueled my passion for it and what kept me in it yeah i I, I, my, my father was an educator, my, my mother, uh, also on the corporate side with, uh, with train company and, you know, to, to be on the education side, especially, uh, uh, corporate, corporate training to see the light bulbs go off in learners eyes, especially at scale yeah. is, uh, it, it's quite intoxicating. Yeah. Uh, that I, aha I moment. And, I really enjoyed it when I would be facilitating. I did a lot of technical training, uh, you know, tech technology subjects like Java and JavaScript and, you know, those kinds of things. And I just loved it in yeah. the room when people would there, you know, you, you have that aha moment with them. That was always great. And that sort of stuck with me, that ability to help others. I mean, that was not in my DNA, uh, my, you know, I was the first one in my family to even go to college. So, um, it wasn't, we weren't educators, never really thought of it that way. It's more, I was always thinking of just helping others be able to really perform their jobs and succeed in their chosen careers and stuff like that. So, and then all of a sudden you look back and you're like doing this for 25 years and you're like, okay, there's no plan B, this is it. Right. So, <laughs> right, right, right. Well, um, let's dive into the topic at hand, which is this concept of business acumen. When you hear that phrase, what does it mean to you? It's So I like to think of it in a little bit of a different way, maybe, than others might. And, and we talk about this a lot just as learning people. There's this big difference in my mind of how the work should get done and then how it actually gets done. And so when I talk about, and I talk about this in the book, the three things a learning leader needs, and one of them is business acumen. I think we all need that. 
everyone needs to understand how you know the business works for the company they work for and the industries they're in. I look at it as really understanding as deeply as you can how the business operates. How do you make money? What markets are you in? So it's that traditional, like this is business acumen, but then it goes a little deeper to understand the constraints that that we all operate in when it comes to uh, working in the business, leading the business. And it also means connecting to a a good and deep understanding of how you and your capacity of HR, L&D, whatever capacity you're in, in that people practice area, how you can help evolve those work systems to make work better. Because one thing we know is work is not going to get less complex. It's going to get more complicated. We know that there are lots of constraints and challenges in the operating models. We're in this, I don't know if you watch Stranger Things, Andy, or not, but I I sometimes compare this to the upside down, this time we're in right now. It's like the upside down in Stranger Things. We're in these complicated, confusing times. The digital age alone was accelerating us exponentially. The last two decades alone, right, have been pretty transformational in how we started to leverage technology and how businesses are investing in it astronomically year over year. And it's really made the work very challenging. And then, of course, we had the crisis of the last two and a half years, which actually accelerated a lot of different dynamics and ways of working and how we leverage technology even more to to sustain business continuity and those types of things. And so now coming out of it, though, we've rewritten the script a bit and there's different expectations that people have of what they want work to be in their lives. And so not to get too uh, really broad about it, but business acumen is not just, it's it's understanding how the work actually gets done, how the business operates. We as L&D and HR people have to really be connected to that. But it's also understanding how you you know, the human component and the intelligent machinery and software and smart systems, that those components, how they all come together to accelerate or, you know, bring velocity to how the business outcomes need to be, you know, uh, delivered and be met. And so it's actually wildly confusing. It's wildly chaotic and it's challenging right now. And there are so many dynamics around that swirl around us that are challenging for people like us in HR and L&D to to help smooth all that out for our employees. Yeah. Love that. That last thing that you said there, you know, the role of L&D and HR just to smooth the smooth the chaos just uh, just just a little bit. I talk about uh, the forces of entropy, uh, uh, how you know the natural state of things is for them to fall apart. I, I talk about that a lot uh, in in my in my my first book and then my forthcoming book as well. So uh, th- thanks for that that mental image of smoothness. It's really, yeah, right. Really good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So as a leader and and influencer in the learning and development space, you see directly the work readiness or the lack thereof of a secondary school and, and higher education graduates. In your assessment, 
what needs to change going back to primary and secondary school to improve business literacy, which is then the precursor of business acumen? Yeah, really good. Uh, really good thought there. We, yeah, I was just talking about this the other day to a group of uh, Dutch leaders in New York. Um, they were learning leaders from a, from several Dutch companies. And I was expressing to them parts of the challenges in the American system that we have going on right now. So we have, you know, since the pandemic unfolded, almost 2 million teachers have left public education. One in five Americans don't even have a basic English literacy, level of English literacy. Uh, for the first time since we've been recording it, our math scores in America are going down. And so, granted, the pandemic is a lot of the cause of this. Our teachers are fleeing the public education system. Our kids are suffering. And we have a system in stress, a lot of stress. And so... Yep. When you have that calamity going on on the side of, you know, in our society, and then we have corporate America who, like I said earlier, they're investing in advanced technology year over year at an astronomical rate. The, the biggest technology, obviously, is AI technologies that are being integrated and invested in. And the workforce coming to us from the public school system, where 90% of American kids go, are not coming to us prepared with the capabilities business needs to succeed in this digital world. And so that's an unsustainable challenge, uh, if you will. And so we've got to address not only the, the, I mean, corporate America is addressing some of this through the capability building that they're doing. Um, a lot of our frontline audiences were creating our training for using sixth grade English that we're writing in. And, um, you know, a lot of folks coming into the workplace are needing basic education and training to be able to be effective and productive in the corporate environment. And so there's a misalignment that's unsustainable, like I said. And so we've got to deal, corporate America is dealing with these granular issues of building capability and, and, uh, creating strategies to expand the talent pool and make it more equitable and look at alternative routes to helping people get the capabilities they need to be productive and effective. But there's also those systemic challenges that we need to face too of helping to fix the education system in the country. And, you know, what are we looking for when it comes to how we educate our children and, and how we work with our teachers and, you know, all of these sort of broader systemic issues that are still there. And you're seeing a lot more companies get more involved in the, in the communities in which we serve from an education and training perspective, which is something we're definitely doing at Walmart. So. Yeah. I, uh, thank you for, uh, in, in your description there, just a, a little bit of a, a preview. Our, our next mini series is on uh, date, uh, data literacy and uh, as an extension, uh, digital, uh, digital literacy will come, come later. But, oh, I will uh, definitely yeah, just, listen to that because that is a key, yeah. key component here. I, I'm literally looking at this, Andy, as a capability crisis. And we have... Yeah two types of workers 
in this in this country right now. We have a physical worker focused more on the routine tasks and the less complex activities that make up a day's worth of work. And then we have the cognitive worker that's focused on the more complex problem-solving activities and the non-routine tasks. And, and there's a chasm growing between those two types of workers that, uh, you know, we talk a lot about this in corporate America. We talk about reskilling and upskilling. And we a lot of us talk about it, but the challenge here is this chasm is growing. And if we don't start addressing this really significant challenge of the skills gaps that we're facing. And I'm saying start because a lot of companies don't know how to do this. They haven't figured it out yet. Right. We're already behind the eight ball on this. And so if we're not careful, there's going to be a significant number of work of the workforce that that's left behind. Because if there is something that can be automated in business, business will automate it. And if it if it takes jobs away or if it requires augmentation to jobs that then will require more capability to work with technology or interact with technology, those aren't skills that necessarily happen quickly. And so we have to start looking within our companies like, okay, if we're assertively integrating AI technologies year over year and more smart machinery and intelligent software, you know, all these things into our workflows, then are we skilling at a level that's necessary to make sure the workforce can keep up? and not leave behind a significant number of the workforce. Well, we're on, we're on video today. I wish I could reach through the, the, uh, the, 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 the camera and give you a nice fist bump there. <laughs> Cause that, that, that was wonderful. Let's move on to the collegiate uh, level mm-hmm. and uh, just run a simple thought experiment experiment. You know, imagine that you've got a university chancellor right in front of you right now, what advice do you give to them to set their graduates up for success in this very challenging uh, work, workplace and workforce that you're talking about to build business acumen? Well, actually, I was in front of some uh, uh, some UC regents and chancellors not too long ago uh, because we were we I was at a uh, uh, panel conversation about what we're doing in the skilling space. And then right after that was what universities are doing. And so it was really interesting to hear them. And, you know, just to be transparent and candid, what I walked away from listening to both panels was, and I talked about chasm between worker types, was this really big chasm between higher education and the reality that we're facing in corporate America, right? And and so what what seems to have happened is this inaccessible system that is available for just a few. I mean, the majority of Americans do not have a college degree. 60% of Americans right. don't have a college degree. And yet the majority of jobs that pay over $40,000 a year in this country require one. So that means that the majority of Americans aren't eligible for the jobs that are out there. And so we've got, uh, so then, but then we have this higher education system that has gotten very expensive and inaccessible and, uh, you know, kind of beyond the path for a significant number of, of people. So then you have this kind of locked system there and you have corporate America going, okay, we can't there's not enough humans being made that are going to go through that system. So we've got to start rethinking the job architecture and 
figuring out how do we take, uh, how do we broaden or open the aperture, if you will, and look differently? And do we need to be requiring a college degree for certain jobs? And most of this actually started in tech. There were some tech companies that it was baseline that you had a college degree. And what really mattered was where you got that college degree. And so even just over the last decade, that has changed because they're realizing there's not enough people with those qualifications to do the jobs. So um, the corporate system has been pretty flexible and agile in trying to figure this out. And the job architectures are taking a long time for us to figure out. Uh, one one uh, in, uh, coalition, if you will, that we're working with at Walmart and that almost 100 other companies are involved in is what Jenny Rometty helped put together from the former chairman of IBM called the 110 Coalition, which is looking at hiring 1 million black people into family sustaining jobs that do not require a college degree over the next 10 years. And Walmart is in that coalition and we're going to be able to provide a significant number of those jobs. And by family sustaining and by no college degree, that in and of itself tells you that we have an inherently inequitable system. It's an unequal system. So when I talk, and I know I'm going kind of off on a rabbit hole here, but when you look at business acumen, you know, it, it, some of the higher degree institutions are really disconnected from what it means to really be able to come into a business and uh, function in a way that drives what we call value creation. Right. And so we've actually also uh, on another tangent have been working with um, business uh, colleges and universities to to help design the types of credentials and programs that can bring about that day one readiness, if you will, for people who do go into uh, programs and especially um, advanced programs, you know, master's programs and that level to help folks be ready to come in and lead the business when they come in. So it's it's an inherently unequal system, but we, we're not saying that it's not valuable to have a college degree. It is valuable to have a college degree. We're trying to work where we can with the university system to make sure that, that what folks are investing in to get those degrees will help them be ready to lead business when they come into business, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, you know, thank you for the support, really, uh, for uh, our, our mini series earlier the, uh, this past spring on the reskilling revolution. Uh, you know, a billion people need to be reskilled over over the next ten years. Colleges and universities just don't have uh, that that throughput uh, that's that's necessary. Uh, to to be able to to fill those jobs, uh, a little bit of a uh, we're, since we're going on some tangents here, are you finding any success convincing higher education leaders to disaggregate the degree into uh, more of its component parts to to you know to make the the stepping stones toward job readiness through higher education more accessible, less costly. Because as you said, the degree the, the degree shouldn't be the be all end all. It should be a, a, a set of stackable uh, skills yes. and knowledge knowledge skills capabilities that 
that, that allow somebody to be successful in the workplace. Are, are you finding some success there? Yes, we are. And so what we're doing, so we've got a program called Live Better You. And Live Better You is an internal program at Walmart where we provide no-cost uh, high school and college degrees to our frontline associates in the U.S. and some of our hourly, our hourly associates and some of our frontline salary associates. And so from day one for part-time or full-time associates, they have uh, over 60 programs available to them that they can um, go through and get a degree or a credential um, to expand their opportunity and develop themselves and, and grow. And we offer this at no cost, including books. And so how do we operationalize this? Because to us, what's important with a, a 1.6 million, you know, audience that it comes to work for us, uh, we want to be able to move this kind of good job you get at Walmart into a great career. And yeah. we do that through like you said, skilling and credentialing and giving your, you know, giving an opportunity for you to grow. So how we do that is we've been partnering with a company called Guild Education. And so Guild Education, and a lot of companies are doing this now, but Walmart sort of paved the way here. Guild Education provides a platform that enables, you know, in a user-friendly way, like this is a consumer-grade experience, provides access to over 60 different um, program, university programs where associates who work here can look through the catalog and figure out you know, what they want to do, what kind of opportunity they want to seek. And Guild Education partners with us. They provide coaching to help unlock potential, you know, it, discover opportunity for associates who are interested in following this path and then provide them access to it. And so what we've been doing through Guild is working with these providers, these universities, to look at what are the types of programs that make the most sense for people, for working adults who are looking to build their capability and their credentials so that they can move from, just like I said, that good job to a great career. And so, what we're literally doing here, because when you look at the scale of a Walmart, it's like we're larger in some ways than like the community college system in the country. <laughs> yeah. So we're literally democratizing education. Our CEO, uh, Doug McMillan, wants us to invest. He's guaranteed a, a $1 billion investment over the next five years in education and training for our associates. Because we know that offering this type of, you know, uh, access and it's access that's the key driver here to universities that um, really get you straight to the capabilities and skills and education you need. So we've been to make this operationalized, you know, Guild and, and ourselves work through these providers to make sure that the programs make sense for the folks coming in. And it's it's potentially changing the landscape of what we think about when we think about what is a credential, you know, that will, you know, increase your uh, quality of life. Um, but it's not just a degree either. So through this platform and through connecting with our business areas that have high demand for people. Uh, so for instance, um, technology, our health and wellness business, 
even our trades business where truck driver, we need truck drivers, you know, we need HVAC repair folks. There's all sorts of opportunity for you to get a skilled credential through this platform as well, where you can literally, a truck driver can in about, it's less than a year, you can go through this program and triple your quality of life. Truck drivers are starting at like six figures. It's a hundred thousand dollar a year job almost starting out, right? Wow. So these are are opportunities that, like what we say, we're we're opening this aperture. There's nothing wrong with getting a degree. And one of our most popular degree programs amongst our associates is a business degree. One of our most popular credentials is Spanish language speaking. Uh, getting that credential. Yeah. So there's nothing that says a college degree is no less valuable than a short form credential, for example. It's really just trying to meet everyone where they're at and uh, help them unlock their potential through coaching them to discover what it is they're really interested in doing. And so I, it, that's one model that I think, and a lot of us here think, is really going to upend what we think of education in this country. Yeah, gosh, I, I, I'm I'm so happy we're we're having this conversation because when you you know when you when you look at what Walmart is doing from the outside, uh, from you know from from a casual observer's perspective, what you just described uh, doesn't come across. So if you can talk to your uh, your marketing and PR folks, <laughs> I, I think there's point. A, we have actually been hearing that a little. And yeah. candidly, when I was looking at when they were recruiting me for this job at first, I was like, Walmart. OK, well, it's a it's a retailer. Let me look at that. Right. And I had been at Home Depot. Um, but but then when I was told about the remit I would have, which includes Live Better You, I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Hold on here. You, Really, we're providing no-cost education for our associates to expand their opportunity, their pathways, right? And we're really doing that. Like I had to like ask a couple of questions. And like, yes, we're really doing that. And it's not because we feel like we have to do that. It's the right thing to do. And so Doug talks about this um, this thing he 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 uh, says that he wants us to be, which is a regenerative company. And yeah. in some, in most manners, a regenerative company means the communities in which we serve, we want to make sure that we're helping to give back to those communities and look at how we are operating in a more sustainable way. But it also applies to the people practice. So how are we looking at the folks who decide to come work here and not just, I mean, no one wants a dead-end job. So how are we able, through our ecosystem, to what my boss calls make a, uh, you know, move away from the one size fits all model to a one size fits one model, even at our scale. And so how can we leverage our scale to, like I said earlier, democratize opportunity? And it's something that we now feel like is the right thing to do, but it also creates so much value. Um, for our communities, for our associates, um, for their families, you know, if you're tripling someone's quality of life, or if you're, you know, one of the folks on my team, she was pushing her daughter, you know, saying, you need to go to school and get educated. You need to get, you need to get a college degree. She was telling her that. And her daughter looked back at her and said, well, mom, you don't have a college degree. So why do I need to go get one? And that hit her like a yeah. brick. And so she was, 
she's an associate at Walmart. She signed up for LBU, Live Better You, and she got a degree. And so, yeah. you, you know, it's like it, it has this regenerative effect when you invest in your people. Um, and so, yeah, you're right. It's We need to talk more about it. You know what we're doing. Yeah. No, you know, I know this episode is, uh, is, is supposed to be on business acumen, is on business acumen. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the conversation we're having, uh, either directly or indirectly influences the business acumen of yeah. everybody, uh, that yeah. that's wor- working in the business, you know, Brandon, normally, uh, we, we, we cut to a commercial, but this has been such a, an engaging conversation for me. We're not going to do a commercial <laughs> for my book at all here, but we're just, we're just going to roll right in. Cause I want to ask you, uh, I want to get back to business acumen and pick your brain mm-hmm. on the skills, uh, the skills equation. So, you know, we, we talk a lot about alternative pathways in, into the workplace, uh, skills-based hiring, the reskilling revolution, as I mentioned before, uh, and you're at the tip of the spear for that. If you had to pick two, what I call sub skills that are absolutely essential to improving business acumen in the average employee, what would those skills be? Andy, bring up the hard questions. So it, it's, it's expand. I would say the ability to expand your capacity for complexity, it, because, and I'll, you know, I usually go off on tangents here. Let me go on this one. I'll bring it back around. I was sure. in a talent review with our chief operating officer several months ago, and we were just doing introductions and he hadn't met me before I hadn't met him. And I was explaining what I do. And the brilliant man he is, he looks at me and he's like, okay, well, what are you doing to prepare us for the 2030 Walmart? And of course, with a senior executive, you always want to have an answer. <laughs> But that kind of yeah. stumped me. And it stuck with me too, because I'm like, I, I, I'm creating leadership development. But it was a really good question, because what are we doing to develop? It's not about today. It's about we need the leaders that are going to take us into the future of business that we can't necessarily, I hear this all the time, well, how do you future-proof? You don't future-proof. There's no way you can do that. You have to just be future-ready. And we don't know what retail is going to be like in eight years. You know, we don't know what custom, we didn't know two years ago that our customers would be okay with us coming into their house and putting their groceries into their refrigerator. And that's now a service we offer, right? We come in here, we take the item you want to return from your counter and we go return it for you, right? So, so when he said that, I thought, okay, we've got to develop leaders in a way to be able to expand their capacity for the complexity that they have to navigate. And so I would say the ability to be that systems thinker, to look up and around and understand more about just what you do, but how the business itself operates that, you know, and how, how you can move through complexity, moving your team, developing your team for that, moving the business forward. And what that takes are these sort of sub skills, if you will, of curiosity and courage. And, you know, Eric Schmidt once said he only hires for two things, and that's persistence and courage, right? And that's really what we need. So I would say business acumen starts there. We've got to have curiosity. We've got to have courage because once you get a POV or point of view on something, then you have to be able to try to drive it forward. And one thing that we have here is a lot of complexity when you think about, uh, you know, 
the scale at which we operate and trying to meet the customer's promise every day with what they want, right? And I mean, we get 11 million job applications every day, Andy. So we have a scale that is quite astronomical. And But if we break one customer promise, it's an issue. So for our leaders to be able to navigate that complexity, we must have systems thinkers, you know, people who can with courage and persistence and curiosity, you know, drive us forward. Yeah, I, as you're talking, what what I'm I'm hearing in the background is also that you know when you said future ready, it's to me that's understanding one's own uh, both appetite for change and ability to navigate through change, and uh, you know we we don't talk enough about change management. Uh, and helping our people understand their own experience uh, yeah. with uh, with change. So that's that's just something I would uh, kind of pile on top. I of. love that you add that because just two days ago, we were in a meeting with my boss. There were some of us in there, and and that's what she. And by the way, I say my boss. Her name is Lorraine Stomsky, and she's fantastic. She's a fantastic leader at Walmart. But she told us she's like, look, change is constant. And it will be constant. So when I say navigate complexity, I think you hit it. It's really that change is going to keep happening. I mean, we've had to do so much what we call pivoting, if you will, during the the crisis. I mean, I was at Delta when the pandemic unfolded, which is an airline. I would highly recommend you don't work at at an airline during a global pandemic. It's (laughs) for some odd reason, people don't want to get in a metal tube together and travel when, when there's a pandemic. Sure. But that business was put to rest, and that was a different type of complexity we had to lead through. Whereas during the pandemic, Walmart became, you know, a needed service for the nation because they were supplying goods and people were looking for products that they needed to have in their houses and stuff, and they needed to get it in a safe way, right? Because there was so much unknown about it. That's a different level of complexity, too. And, and you're right, that change was happening so fast, and it's not like it's going to slow down. Because in June of 2020, like Sacha or yeah, Sacha Nadella said, at my, the CEO of Microsoft, he's like, we went through two years of digital transformation in like two weeks. And so that's massive change. Candidly, we did pretty well with that as a nation, as a, as a world. We had too many deaths and we had too much uh, pain and suffering through that. But when it comes to business continuity, technology is what kept us going. And it was really exponentially, um, you know, a catalyst, if you will, for making sure that we could come out of this in what, just a a little over a year with a vaccine, you know? So all of those things coming together, I think you're right. Navigating change, what my boss said the other day, now it's just going to be constant and we have to live with that. That doesn't make us as workers necessarily more comfortable because there's a significant number of us that that, you know, it's troubling to navigate change. And so as a leader, if you're a leader in a company, that's one of your biggest challenges, right, is to help your people through that. Yeah, yeah. Well, Brandon, we're 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 up against time. Uh, I, you know, I would love just my last question for you before I let you go. You founded uh, Learning and Development Cares or L&D Cares in 2020. 
can you clue us in on L&D Care's purpose and how our listeners uh, can, quote unquote, learn more? Oh, well, thank you for bringing it up, Andy. And you've been a part of L&D Care, so I appreciate that. So we founded it in 2020, uh, really as a response to the unfolding pandemic. So it was in April of 2020, we founded, things were just starting to happen. And I really feared that this might be cataclysmic in some ways to companies that would then impact their L&D operations. And so we came together as a resource group to uh, all volunteer to offer coaching, mentoring, and resources for L&D professionals and HR professionals who may be adversely impacted by what was going on with COVID. And of course, some of what happened as it continued to unfold was we actually became more important L&D operations and HR mm-hmm. operations became more important for business continuity. So although we did help people who were displaced or needed to transition in their career because of impacts that weren't voluntary, it also became a resource for people to collectively network with each other on just how to navigate this as a people professionals, right? And so we have over 2,000 members. We're still active. We went through the pandemic. We did a lot of... Uh, bringing people together to work on some of the is- the bigger issues that we're facing in the profession. We have coaching circles. We have a mentoring program. No cost for anyone who wants to join and be a part of the community. We have committed and passionate volunteers. It's ldcares.org if anyone wants to connect to the website and learn more and, and potentially volunteer or become uh, a member and then access one of the coaching circles or the mentoring program. Um, and I may be calling you up, Andy, to see if you want to mentor uh, as well. But it's a thriving community now that's changed a bit. We're not so worried about the impact of, of a global crisis from the work perspective. Now we're looking at, we're offering mentoring and coaching to new entrants in the practice, especially teachers who have left that practice and they want to come into the corporate L&D function, and also more tenured folks that are trying to figure out what their next transitions are in their career. And uh, so we're having uh, a fantastic, um, you know, time with the community and uh, lots of committed professionals who are geeking out about L&D and HR all the time. So again, ldcares.org, thank you for mentioning it, but it's a thriving community of practitioners and leaders in the industry. Well, Brandon, I, I'm, I'm so thrilled. This, this is going to be uh, the extra large uh, uh, version of, of, of the podcast. And I talk so too really, much, Andy. That's the bottom line. No, Sorry. No, no. Yeah. Well, but, but what you're saying is it's all really, really important stuff. So uh, you've had Brandon Carson uh, on the show. This is his book, L&D's uh, Playbook. Uh, for the digital age. You can pick it up uh, on on Amazon. You can also and, buy it uh, on walmart.com. I will add that too. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> good, good, good plug. You get it at walmart.com. Forget about that Amazon place. Uh, get, get, get it at Walmart. No worries. It's available anywhere. It's not available at Barnes & Noble last I looked. So. Very good. All right, Brandon, we got to wrap things up. My name is Andy Tempty. This is the Balancing Act podcast found on all major podcasting services, also available on YouTube. Brandon, I'm so grateful we were able to get together. Thank you so much. Have a great day.
Thank you for having me. Bye-bye.